live from Atelios. This improbable run continues. This is the Alan Griffin Show. We welcome you live to Atelios on James, Stephen Fonte, Mike Waters, Alan Griffin with you up until 9 o'clock. Feel free to give us a call at any time throughout the show at 315. 315- 437-76-44. That loss to Georgia Tech seems like ages ago. Syracuse playing a whole lot better of late with wins over Duke. And then Pittsburgh on Saturday, 74-63. And, and Griff, let's start right there. You guys are now 4-1 and one in conference play. A half game behind North Carolina in the standings, tied with, with three others. I'd imagine uh, the locker room good place to be these days. Confidence uh, at, at, a, at a pretty nice high. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, guys are feeling good right now. And, um, you know, speaking of the uh, the, the games, uh, you know, after the Georgia Tech game, we kind of reevaluated ourselves a little bit as a coaching staff, and then we went into, uh, you know, planning ahead for the next couple of games. And we wasn't, like, focused on, like, Duke, even though Duke was the next game. We just wanted to kind of focus on what we needed to do to make sure our team can, you know, get back to uh, performing better, playing better. And, um, uh, you know, the one thing Coach continued to say is that we have to push the pace. We have to play a faster pace on offense. Uh, and you know what? We need to play a little bit better on defense. What stood out to you from that, that win over Pitt? When you look back on, uh, on Saturday's performance, what stands out to you? You, you know what? Um, one, not making free throws. That stand out <laughs> big time. It's always the negatives, right, as a coach. Uh, you know, that, that stood out. But we had two stretches in that game where we kind of put the game – uh, uh, we we took the lead by you know double figures and we played uh, some really good basketball. We had some backdoor passes by Marac Dolajak. Uh, we had some really good inside play. You know Pascal did some good things for us, especially defensively. So uh, it, it was just a, all a good all around effort in those two stretches. Uh, Griff, I was watching the beginning of the Florida State Clemson game tonight, which started at seven o'clock. You know Florida State had that heartbreaking home loss to Duke, and they thought they had them. And then they turned around and they lost to Pitt. And then they turned around and they lost to Boston College. And so here they are, with all of a sudden they have a three-game losing streak. How do you keep one loss, especially one like the Georgia Tech game, from turning into two or three losses in a row? Is it the coaches, the veteran players? I think it's a combination of both. But when, you, when, when you're going into each of these games, the one thing about Coach Beheim is, is, is he's preaching, you know, there's not one game more important than another. You know, obviously, you're playing against number one in the country. Everybody knows that. But, you know, going into that game, we, we were focused on us and playing well and playing hard, and that's all that mattered. We can miss 50 shots. It doesn't matter. So we try to keep that kind of that same philosophy right there. And then, you know, if you keep that and the guys stick to that plan, you, you know, you really see a team lose you know back-to-back-to-back games like that since mike brought it up i mean let's let's go there because you know you you look at what's happened to florida state i mean i, I think we'd all agree that they're they have the talent to be a, a top 15 top 10 team and, and here they are one and four in conference play you know you guys lost to georgia tech at home and and you're you're sitting at four and one is is momentum a thing you know especially in this conference you know you lose a couple and it can snowball or on the flip side you win a couple and it can snowball oh definitely uh, momentum is uh uh big for uh for any team uh, but uh when you're thinking about 
uh, just what Florida State has been going through and what some teams are going to go through. Because, you know, we got two big road games coming up after this, you know, after this game on Thursday against a, a, re- a really good Miami team going into Boston College, I mean, going into Virginia Tech, who's a tough game, and then going down to uh, Boston College, who, uh, you know, is, is always a hard game for us. So um, you, just, you just never know, and that's why you have to just continue to just play one of these games at a time and take care of one game at a time. Going back to, to now to Pittsburgh, your, your last win on Saturday. Uh, what has changed there uh, that from last year when they went 0-18 in this league and, and, and now here they are? I know they're only 2-3, and three, but still, they, they got wins over Louisville and, uh, and, and Florida State, and, and they pushed you guys at the Dome. Yeah, well, Coach Capel, yeah, I mean, his, uh, his pedigree speaks for itself. Where he's coming from. You know, what he's done, you know, outside of Duke when he was the head coach at VCU, when he was the head coach at Oklahoma. You know, he he did a great job there. So, you know, he knows what it takes. He knows what winning basketball looks like. And these guys know, uh, and they probably see it in practice, his passion uh, uh, for, for coaching and, and wanting to be a winning program. And obviously these guys are playing really well. They came in with two guys in particular. You had to keep your eye on Trey McGowan's and, and Xavier Johnson. And McGowan's, I thought you guys did a terrific job on him. Didn't score in the first half, and I, I know he sat out a little bit of it with, with the, the injury. Um, but he finished with seven points. He was, what, two for 13 from the field. What, what did you guys do to, to, to make him struggle so much, I guess, from the field? We try not to give him easy baskets, especially in transition. He's phenomenal in transition. Once you get him going in transition, it opens up everything else in his game. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that we got back. We put a body in front of him. And in the half court, we wanted him to take tough contested shots, uh, not rhythm you know, threes. We wanted him to, if he's going to make a shot, he was going to make it off the dribble or in the lane, a tough shot over Pascal and our length and size and size. So uh, that's what we try to do. We kind of executed that. He had a tough night, but, you know, we still got to go down to Pittsburgh and play him again. So <laughs> we got to be ready for that one. You mentioned the free throw shooting in the Pittsburgh game earlier, going right for the negative. So since you've already gone there, I'll go, I'll go there with you. <laughs> the rebounding numbers. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh out-rebounds you, and not only is it uh, you know, showing up in the rebounding number, but the second chance points, 17 for them, only two for you. Well, what happened on the boards, and what do you do to correct that next week when you go down there? Some of our guys that we need to rebound didn't rebound as well as they have in the past. You know, Elijah Hughes only had one rebound in that game. And he's getting, what, four rebounds for us, three or four rebounds, three and a half rebounds. So uh, that's one. Uh, Tyus, again, he has to continue to rebound. What do you have, five rebounds? Uh, he had a couple offensive Three. Re- he had three. Yeah. A couple of good, big offensive rebounds for us and gave us, you know, uh, other opportunities. Uh, Tyus got to do better. Uh, you know, Pascal got to continue to rebound. He's doing a phenomenal job on the boards the last couple games. Uh, we need, you know, a, a better effort from Mariah Dolezal. Uh, you know, and O'Shea. O'Shea yeah. is a, a big-time rebound. He can go up and get it amongst the trees, uh, and he struggled in that game. So, Hopefully, if those guys get better, we'll we'll uh, we'll kind of you know turn the rebounding margin back to plus outside. Pascal Chuku, twenty nine rebounds combined two games. Um, what has changed for him? And you know, I guess a two part question: We saw him inserted back into the starting lineup. Is he back in there 
because he earned his job back, or was he back in the starting lineup because Marek was a little banged up uh, coming out of that Duke game? I think he, he earned his job back. I think that's the one thing that Coach did not want to do when he did it. Uh, but we had to make a change. We had to kind of shake it up a little bit, one, to get you know Pascal's attention, but also, two, uh, to uh, – uh, shake the the lineup up and try to get you know better on offense. Get going, you know, get to a better start at the beginning of the game. So that's why we kind of went with Marac and and it helped for four games. And then you know when you're playing against the, the the better teams in this league, you know Pascal. If Pascal is not in there making a difference around the rim, it's going to be tough for us to win in those games. So what's changed for him? I mean, what what has clicked the, these last two games? I'll be honest. I gave him a hug, fellas. <laughs> I'm Before or after? <laughs> uh, you know what? I gave him a hug, you know, after. Yeah. And just told him, just stick with it and uh, and he'll be all right. But, nah, you know, in all seriousness, uh, he, he came to work. He never stopped working, which, you know, some certain guys or some guys, uh, when they lose their starting spot, they go down in the hole and, you know, it takes them a couple of weeks to get back. But Pascal came to work and practice. He didn't put his head down. He just... Just, just went, keep, kept going, and uh, and eventually he broke through. And you know, it's funny. I, I, I said this to somebody: if Pascal could have made a free throw in Pittsburgh game, he would have had another double double. He could have been in contention for Player of the Week. So Barama Sidibe, on the other hand, only played seven minutes against Pitt. You, you giving him any hugs these days? Oh, I gave him a hug today. <laughs> I did. I honestly gave him a hug today. But, you know, I mean, sometimes it's a coach's decision, and I think, you know, coach, he doesn't he – the one thing about coach, and he, he said it a, ma- a million times, I don't have a set rotation. Mm-hmm. You know, he has a set rotation, but he doesn't – he coaches off a of field. You know, when he makes his substitution patterns, a lot of it is off a of field. He plays certain guys, a lot of it is off of what he thinks is best for the team. And some days it's going to be Pascal, and some days it's going to be Barama. You know, those guys are a two-headed monster together. When I look at those guys, I look at them as one, not as individuals. So, What's the best way for a guy to earn more playing time with Coach Beheim? Is it to produce day in and day out in practice, or is it more important that when you get your minutes in a game situation, you go out and produce in a game? I know ideally you want a combination of both, but what's the best way to kind of earn some minutes back? Practice, 100% practice. Um, Coach Beheim, look at the practice points and stats every day uh and that's the one thing that's the one thing one reason why he went with with buddy outside of you know everybody think buddy is just gonna play because he's he's his son but outside of that buddy's been shooting the lights out of it in practice and obviously against the pittsburgh game he hit four threes so you know if if he practices if you practice well eventually you're gonna play well and coach goes by that big time Conversely, though, if you're like one of those guys coming in off the bench and you go into a game, the quickest way to come back to the bench is to mess up. Yeah. Like, if you don't make a shot, that's okay. But if you turn the ball over, if you blow a defensive assignment, yeah, is that right? I mean, or am I misinterpreting some of the moves that Coach Beheim makes? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. (laughs) (laughs) But but when it's when it's said and done, you know, Coach has his biggest pet peeve. He has pet peeves about each and every guy. Uh huh. Each and every guy has something that you know Coach wants them not to do, and if they do it, the next time if he says something, don't do it again. You know, or try to limit certain things. Uh, And if you do what is that gets him if you do what makes him really mad then 
you ain't you coming out. <laughs> That's just the nature of it. Uh, so, it, I mean, it, it is what it is. What was that for you when you were wow. playing? What, what, what was what was Coach Behind's like? The one thing Allen can't do, or else he's going to oh, sit next to me. Oh, turn the ball over. Okay, turn the ball over. If I turn the ball over, even when I was a starter playing forty minutes a game. If I turned the ball over, I heard it. And, I mean, I heard it when I'm playing live, and then when I got to the bench, I heard it. And then after the game, I heard it. And I could have got a phone call that night from him and hearing it. So I just knew. And that's why I kind of cherished the ball so much, like because I just didn't want to hear his voice anymore. <laughs> Alan's reaction to your question, Mike, I thought I thought it wasn't just one pet peeve. I thought he had, like, a list of, like, five of them. He's like, wow, well, let me. Where should I start? Yeah. But at the top of the list was was turning the ball over. Oh, definitely. 315-437-7644. Let's go to the phone lines. We've got Jake in Syracuse. He's kicking us off tonight on the Alan Griffith Show. Hey, Jake. Hey, guys. Hey, Coach. Um, Hey. How long before before we start calling Ty Saddle the Orange Mamba? Wow. I I love that that (laughs) name for him. Um, I also love Dolajai in the game. I think the high screen role, you got to respect him more, a little more than some of the other guys just because, you know, he can shoot it, pass it a little better. And uh, talk to me a little bit about Frank Howard. Uh, it looks like he's getting his legs under him. His deep shots are starting to go in. It looks like he hit a couple threes against Pitts. He's, he's been playing better in this little win streak here. Thanks for taking my call. Right, no problem. Well, first, your first question, uh, Tyus Battle as the Orange Mamba. He's been the Orange Mamba since he walked in here on campus. Uh, he's hit numerous, uh, numerous amounts of big shots uh, uh, in the Orange uniform. Uh, I can tell you his freshman year at a game at Clemson, he was a game winner, correct, Mike? Yes. Um, and then uh, last with, with the flu, right? With, yeah, 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 with I mean, the flu. Or some right. sort of illness. Yeah. I wasn't here. I was watching it on TV, though, uh, and I seen that game, and it was unbelievable. Uh, but Tyus is a, you know, one of those guys who just clutch. He just find a way of making tough, making tough, uh, pivotal shots for for us throughout the years, and we just happy to have him on our team. Um, you know, Marac and, and ball screen situations is, is big for us because he creates an advantage because he can pop, he can shoot the three occasionally. But also, too, I think Marac is one of our best playmakers on our team. Uh, his ability to pass, his ability to drive the ball at times against guys that are a little bit slower than, or bigger than him. And uh, just his overall sense of uh, his basketball sense of when to do something, like when to foul. Sometimes he just makes those type of plays, just really good basketball plays, which is big time for us. And, uh, yeah, I think Frank, the, the more we go into the season with Frank, the better he will be uh, because uh, one thing that he did struggle with was his uh, conditioning when he first got back. Uh, and, and now he's starting to hit full stride, and hopefully he's uh, trend upward. And uh, uh, we need Frank to uh, win these big battles. Can I ask you a question about Marek? Mm-hmm. You, you say you know that that he's got this great feel for the game and and his passing ability, and he, he's so good at, at hitting that backdoor feed, and and knows where to be and when. And he's, he's just a really smart player. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he plays like a point guard. What um, is that? Is that a coincidence, the fact that you have three guards as the assistant coaches on this staff? Like, do you guys, have you guys rubbed off on him to some degree? <laughs> I, and, I mean, I'm, I'm asking a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but, I mean, is have you guys shown him, you know, the fact that you guys are working with him every day and you guys are guards, has he picked up some of the, the guard ability from you guys? Now, you know what, he came in with a very good basketball IQ, and what he did was, what he was over for his national team, they were playing him at guard. 
uh, and at times he was playing the point guard position. So he came here with that skill he set. He came in okay. with that skill set. And uh, the one thing we hope that we can give to him is uh, some of our bulk. Some of our <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we want him to eat like us, you know, <laughs> so he can gain some pounds on those bones. But, you know, uh, getting back to Mariah, like he, he, uh, he's a very good player who can see the game. Uh, before it actually can happen. Some of those backdoor passes, I mean, those things are, like, right on point. You know, a second later, it's a steal for the other team. So uh, kudos to him. You, you've been covering this team for a long time, Mike. The, his ability to pass as a big guy, does he remind you of anyone that, that you've covered? In the, okay, Alan's got Alan's one. has got his hand in the air. Elvel Chino. That's who I was thinking when yeah, I asked was, the question. Oh, the big yeah. Chino. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was—I mean, I was on the uh, back end of a bunch of those passes from the off man. But I tell you what, Marek's ability to, to hit that backdoor cutter, oh, it's because you're having to thread it past oh. a defender with it's, his head turned. Oh yeah, definitely. that's amazing. It's amazing. And his ability too to—we've we, seen a few times where he leads the guy. Like, uh, who would they play when he he passed it to O'Shea and like he like made O'Shea cut to the basket with his pass? I yeah. forget. It, it was it was one of the most recent home games. It might have been Clemson. I yeah. think you're right. Right. Yeah. It was on like a fast break, yes. and then Marek led yeah. O'Shea to the basket, and it turned into yeah. a dunk. And O'Shea Clemson. wasn't even thinking, "I'm cutting right. here," and Marek was like, "No, you're cutting yeah, here." Yeah, because I'm throwing you the ball. You better <laughs> right. go get it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's. It, it is amazing. What, and I, what and he Elijah, I talked with Elijah Hughes after the Duke game because Marek hit Elijah, I think, with that one that led to Elijah's oh, slam dunk, dunk yeah, which was oh, yeah. huge. I mean, when you dunk and silence Cameron, right. you've thrown one down. And Elijah was just raving about Marek. He said, you know, I, that, that play isn't there unless he hits him with the pass right on money. And it's, it is not like a set play for us. It's a read. Mm. You know, Duke, you know, is one of those teams that overplay, play the passing lanes, and you know what? You take two hard steps up, and it's just a, you know, just an eye contact thing. And, um, you know, Marag seen him, and he went back door, and, uh, and Elijah was a recipient of a really nice pass. So, yeah. All right, appreciate Jake for getting us started here on the Alan Griffin Show. Phone lines are open at 315-437-7644. We're going to step aside, take our first time out. We're back after this. You're listening to the Alan Griffin Show, live from Atilio's on James on ESPN Radio. Live from Atilio's. This is the Alan Griffin Show. Here's your host, Stephen Fonte. Stephen Fonzi, Mike Waters, Alan Griffin with you up until 9 o'clock. If only people could hear what we're talking about during the break. You think we're probably talking about basketball during the commercials? No. We spent the whole commercial break talking baseball. Uh, we will talk some baseball later in the show. Uh, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame class announced uh, earlier tonight. Four new names uh, getting in. So we'll, we will talk some baseball maybe in the next segment. Uh, but we continue the basketball talk. Full lines are open at 315-437-7644. I have to ask Alan about about the offense. Uh, we have seen now through your your four conference victories, you guys are shooting better than forty three percent from the field in those four victories, scoring better than seventy five points per game, shooting just a shade under forty percent from three point range. What has changed on that end of the floor? Because it's got to be more. You know, I know we were we were crediting well. You know, Marek in the starting lineup, but that's changed. It's got to be more than that, though. I mean, he didn't even start this last game. So what? What has changed on that end of the floor for you guys? Um, the one thing that's changed is our pace. Uh, you know, if you, I mean, obviously, you're a fan of Syracuse. You watched us last year. You watched, like, we've been playing a little bit slower basketball. 
Whereas to this year, and especially towards the middle to, to right now, uh, we've picked up the pace a little bit more on offense, and we're trying to create a lot more possessions. Um, uh, so uh, that that kind of helped. But Elijah Hughes, uh, when you think about it, Elijah Hughes' ability to knock down shots gives us another you know three point threat out there that you know we didn't have, and uh, it just it just helps you know a guy like Tyus because now. It gives him more space to work. You know, a guy like O'Shea, even though O'Shea's struggling a little bit from the field, but, you know, he still have a little bit more room uh, to work. So, and then, you know, guy's ability to make shots. When Frank came back, it was a little bit more order to the offense, uh, and, and guys were getting the ball a little bit more on time. Uh, and, and Tice was able to move back to where he's uh, comfortable and, and where he scored a lot of points, and that's the two. Uh, piggybacking off what Steve said about the offense, it, it seems like lately the assist numbers go up. Mm-hmm. You know, against Pittsburgh, it was 17 assists mm-hmm. on 25 made mm-hmm. shots. Yeah. So, are the is the offense moving better so that you're setting guys up and creating those, or 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 guys just making shots so your assist numbers are going up? I think it's a little bit of both, but more so the the ability to move the uh, move the teams, mm-hmm. and and guys are finding one another and looking for one another, and and, and that's the one thing that coach said. He said, "Listen, we're gonna miss shots, fellas." But if we don't, you know, move these guys and get in the lane and, you know, penetrate and kick to one another and help one another, we're not going to beat the better teams in our league. And, you know, that's what's, you know, been sh- what we've been trying to show now is moving, getting assist numbers up. So, you know, we, we've seen Tyus battle, you know, take his game to, to the next level. Uh, and we see flashes of it from Tyus, but we've seen two straight games now where he has been in attack mode really from start to finish, certainly against Duke and, and against Pittsburgh. Got off to a slow start in the first half, had some calls go against him, but he was terrific in the second half, finished with 22 points. He's the ACC Player of the Week uh, yet again. Have you seen his mentality change, you know, that, that Tyus takeover mode that we see sometimes at the end of games, we've seen it now, in, in my opinion anyway, for, for 40 minutes and, and 45 minutes against Duke, really from start to finish in the last two games. Yeah, yeah me and Tyus got a little inside joke. Um, I, call, I used to call him Mr. Second Half last year. Every, before every game, I said, hey, Mr. Second Half, when, are you going to go out there and be aggressive from the jump? And he would laugh. And my, my youngest son, uh, Trey, he calls him Mr. Second Half, too. Uh, but, um, yeah, you know what? He's just been aggressive from the tip. Uh, and, and you know what? It's a maturity thing, too. You can just totally tell he's confident in what he's doing, what he's going to do out there. Uh, and it's just a, you know, it's a delight to see, especially because we need it early. Um, uh, we need him to, to ignite this team. And, you know, when he comes out aggressive like he was against Duke, even even the Pittsburgh game, he was aggressive. Again, like you said, he had some f- calls against him. And some, you know, calls he didn't get because, you know, it's it just the way it was called by the referees. But, uh, again, when Tyus is aggressive, our team is a different team. If he's fouled while he's taking a shot lately, this year, right. he's gotten a little bit more demonstrative and oh, complaining. Definitely. Now, does he earn that because he's a junior and a three-year starter and the referees recognize that? Or do you every once in a while want to pull him aside going – and, and tell him you're not doing yourself any favor with those guys in the striped shirts by doing that. You, I mean, he earned it. Okay. To be honest, Mike. He so he's earned okay. It because he put in his time and, and got, I mean, he's a preseason first team and preseason player of the year candidate mm-hmm. for this league. And, 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 and when you that, you earn certain things. And when you're shooting jump shots and guys are touching you when you're shooting them, you, you deserve that call. Uh, and, and, and Tyus is, you know, and just, we like him to be that demonstrative because it's, he's showing some emotion. 
sometimes with Tyus, you know, he has that blank stare until, you know, two minutes left in the game and we down one point. He come up and hit a three and he's starting to yell in the, in the stands. So we need that. Okay. All right, two minutes left in the game. You're down by a point. Uh, let me ask you this. What kind of shot do you feel most comfortable with him taking? Because he, he, he can obviously score, you know, from the three, for you know, pull up. He can take it to the basket. Anyone, Steve. Any shot. Any of them. Any right. shot. When, when, and when it's less than two minutes in the game and we need a big shot to come, whatever shot Tyus shoots, we all think he's going in. Where I was getting with that is <laughs> that, that 15 to 18-foot oh. jumper, whether he's pulling up or the step back, it, it seems like it's almost unguardable, oh, and he, he makes it like 70% of the time. Oh, yeah. And, it, you know, it's, what's crazy is that he does it in practice, like at a higher clip than what you see in the games. You know, at practice, he can get any shot he wants. He can get to any spot that he wants on the court, and he just make it. And you, you just, we look at each other like only him, you know. He can make that shot, and uh, it's good to have him on our team. Do you see him <laughs> Do you see him making a living in the NBA? I know there's some, you know, there's some question that, oh, he might be a second-round pick. Because what I what I see out of this kid is he, he does all the right things. His, his, his game is – he's got a – an all-around game that is good enough to, to play in the pros. You think he can make it at the next level? I definitely think so. Um, I, I, I thought, you know, by him coming back, it's going to show a lot of teams his improvement. And if you look at his numbers from top to bottom, they all improved from last year. And he's playing less minutes than he played last year. So, uh, it, yeah, I mean, and it, all the NBA guys are numbers guys anyway. And then when they reevaluate Tyus this year, they're going to see, you know, his numbers go up and going to say, okay, he, he improved. Uh, let's let's figure this out. And I think he'll play uh, in the NBA. In today's NBA, the advanced metric guys tell you that, like, the worst shot is the one from just inside the three-point line. But Tyus seems to take and make a lot of those. The step back one he has. Do you guys ever talk to him about, hey, maybe another step backwards or, you know, just shoot it from an area that's not just inside the line? Or because he's so proficient at it, you just let him go? We just got to let him go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's a shot that he's come through his shooting. Uh, he's a 20-point scorer for us. And we need all 20 points <laughs> on the night and the night out basis. So you just kind of let him go. Uh, but you know what? If you look at it, his three-point shooting is up. Uh, his percentage is up. Uh, he's making them, you know, at a high clip. So, uh, again, I, do I think he play at the next level? Definitely. Uh, and, you know, you know, Ty's just got to just keep doing what he got to do. All right, 315-437-7644. We are halfway home. On the Alan Griffith Show, we're going to take another time out. We're back after this, coming to you live from Atilio's on James. You're listening to ESPN Radio. Live from Atilio's. This is the Alan Griffin Show. Here's your host, Stephen Fonte. Stephen Fonte, Mike Waters, Alan Griffin with you up until 9 o'clock. Got about 20 minutes or so left in the show. 315-437-7644. If you'd like to get in touch with us, if you have a question for Griff, we're frantically trying to get Florida State Clemson on one of the TVs here. That game uh, going right down to the wire. Florida State, again, 1-4 in conference play. This is this is one of those must-win games uh, for Florida State and Clemson. Uh, Mike, give them all they can handle. It, it really is a, a must-win, I think, for Florida State because uh, it's, a, it's a home game for them on top of everything else. And uh, right now it looks like they're up four with about eight minutes to go. Clemson 
they're a tough team. A home or away, I, you know, the, you might you might be able to beat them, but it's never going to be easy. Never going to be. Nothing's easy uh, in this conference. We'll, we'll get back to the basketball talk uh, coming up in a few minutes. I, I promised we were going to talk some baseball. Let's talk some baseball. Oh, yeah. The new I, Hall of I Fame class. I think he's more excited about I know. this than he is. The <laughs> he, he talks basketball all day. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he thinks basketball all day. He wants to talk some baseball. So the new uh, Hall of Fame class announced earlier tonight, uh, four new members of the Hall of Fame coming this summer, led by closer Mariano Rivera. Uh, the first ever unanimous pick in Hall of Fame history. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He appeared on 100% of the ballots he'll be joined by edgar martinez mike Mussina, and the late great roy halliday very good class going in let's start with rivera there are a lot of questions would he be the first unanimous pick and indeed he was alan i would have stopped watching baseball <laughs> if he wasn't a unanimous pick uh, the one thing about uh mariano everything that you heard about him was all positive regardless of what was going on um uh he was great in the community you know he was a uh, he was great to the media. He was great with his teammates. You know, on top of him being a great pitcher, one of the best, the best closer of all time. Uh, it, it was just, uh, I was just happy to see just being a Yankee fan. Uh, I love Mariano and uh, wish nothing but the best for him. I'm, I'm happy that he's uh, the first unanimous. Are, are we surprised that that's never happened before? Like all the great yeah. baseball players. It's never happened. There's never been somebody that's been a unanimous pick before. Ken Griffey was the closest. He appeared on 437 of the 440 ballots. So he, he was at 99.3%. Uh, but that was the highest. We've never seen unanimous pick. That surprises me. That baseball's been around for so long. The Hall of Fame's been around for so long. We've never seen someone get 100% of the vote before. So three guys who hopefully had their Hall of Fame votes taken away from them yeah, after right. the Ken Griffey thing. Because, yeah, Ken Griffey should have been a slam dunk, as much of a slam dunk as Mariano. Because, and I really thought he, I remember back when Ken Griffey got inducted, um, I thought he was, was going to be because there was already a little bit of, uh, you know, the anti-PED stuff. And everybody knew Ken Griffey Jr. had been clean. And so you got to vote this guy in above, above all else. But three people, I guess, decided that if, if uh, I don't know, Ty Cobb didn't get in on the first vote or somebody like that back in, you know. It, oh. it, it probably was a sports writer from the Yankees, somebody from New York City. <laughs> <laughs> somebody overthinking it. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. You know. Now, you're in New York City. You love Mariano. It's obvious you wanted him. But growing up, who was your favorite Yankee? My favorite Yankee, um, on top of A-Rod coming to New York City, I loved A-Rod. Um, it was uh, a pitcher named Dave Rigetti. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Dave Rigetti was my one of my favorite, for, for whatever reasons, when I got into baseball, when I started loving baseball, uh, I used to go to the Yankee game and sit in the bleachers. And th at that time, Dave Rigetti was a starter. Okay. Um, and um, I just, it was something about him, the big lefty. And uh, he's one of my favorites. And, you know, Dave Winfield was another one who was great. Uh, man, I, the list goes on and on for me. But I was a big Dave Rigetti fan. And, you know, later on I became an Alex Rodriguez fan. I, I just loved, you know, the way he played the game. And, um, yeah. I'm a Jeter guy myself. I, I, I mean, talk about a guy who did all the right things, said all the right things. You don't love Jeter, do you? Uh, if you're an A-Rod guy, you're not a Jeter guy. Yeah, you, I mean, they played together. so yeah, I know they did, but yeah, oh, there was some okay. animosity. There. Yeah, definitely. I, I wanted, I actually wanted the Yankees, because there was talk that the Yankees were going to move Jeter yeah. to second base. Right. Wow. 
They they said they, I mean some article they say Jeter's the second uh, put uh, A Rod at short and I forgot who was the third baseman at the time who, who could have been the third baseman so. Uh, I was hoping that they did that because I wanted to see a You want to see your boy in short? No question. All right, so that – No one's asking, but I was a Cal Ripken fan. <laughs> well, I knew you were an Orioles fan. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you had to be, right? You had to, If you're an Orioles fan, you have to be a Cal Ripken fan. Um, two guys from the same mold, Jeter and, and Ripken. I think they're, they're cut from the same cloth. Professionals uh, in their approach to the game, clutch. in how they handled themselves off the field, leaders, clutch, leaders, yeah, all that stuff. Uh, Face of the franchise. Cal obviously did not have, you know, the, the good fortune to play in a franchise that surrounded him with enough other guys that you could win a championship. Because you know, as you guys know, in baseball, you can't win a title with just one really good player out there. But yeah, Cal was my guy, and uh, I was there for his actual his very first opening day ever. Oh, wow. He had come up the year before, but the following year on his first opening day, I, I skipped school and uh, went and, and saw the Orioles. Kind of aging yourself here, Mike. Well, that's okay. Bit. Believe me, the gray hair does it long <laughs> before the stories do. Uh, so anytime we talk Hall of Fame, inevitably you got to talk about you know what happened with, with Bonds and Clemens. So they both picked up a little bit in the voting from last year. Uh, Clemens received 57.3% of the votes. Uh, Barry Bonds, 56.4. Remember, the magic number is, is 75. They've got three years left on the ballot. What do we think should be done with Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds? And how they didn't have the same number. A few more people voted for Clemens and not Bonds. Not really sure why that was. I kind of feel like they're a package deal. But in any event, uh, what do we do with Clemens and Bonds? Put them in. I say you put them in just off the strength of, you know, my logic to it is is that both guys – Going into the, you know, before the the PED and steroid era, that was known to everybody, um, they had Hall of Fame numbers. Um, you know, Pis- uh, uh, Barry Bonds and Pittsburgh had Hall of Fame numbers. Uh, you know, with the Steels being a very, very good all-around player. And Clemens, you know, he was one of the best pitchers of all time. Uh, and, and, and it's hard to keep those two guys out. What do you think? It's harder for me. I mean, I, I, I do get it that Clemens and, and Bonds played like Hall of Famers before the PED thing ever came up or surfaced in their careers. I mean, certainly Bonds, when he was in Pittsburgh, was a, was a splinter and an, an incredible baseball player. Um, but the whole thing of, of somebody at that level taking performance-enhancing drugs angers me a little bit because I covered AAA baseball, and the guys that weren't on the 40-man couldn't take those things because they were getting tested uh, at a different level than the guys on the 40-man were. So I saw guys scraping to get by and trying to make the majors, and they couldn't. because And it, they weren't losing their jobs because of Bonds and Clemens because those guys were in the majors already. Right. But it was the other guys who were just fringe guys, and you knew there were other guys who weren't nearly as good a baseball player who were taking and making that major league roster and then not getting tested because the, the way the union was back then. I have a hard so, time with it, too. I have a hard time know. putting them in. I, I think, waffle. I think they should be in the hall somehow. Like, maybe have your own section that it's, you know, the PED era. You document the stats and Bonds hit this many homers and Clemens had this many strikeouts. I'm not sure they deserve a bust and you know their own monument in uh, in Cooperstown. That's that's just the way that I look at. It. I, I'm with you, Mike. I have, I have a hard time putting them in. No denying their numbers and their greatness, though. Um, and A Rod's another. That's it's it's a tricky case. I know you're an A Rod guy, but it's my guy. No, <laughs> he's he's a Hall of Famer no matter what. Oh, uh, definitely. In my books, he's a Hall of Famer. 
What do, well, let me ask you this question, fellas. What about Pete Rose? Uh, what about Pete Rose? It's Pete complicated. Rose. This whole topic is complicated. Um, I know that there's a, a faction of people that believe he will be a Hall of Famer once he passes away. I don't know if that's really? right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, that's what a lot of people believe, that, that baseball has, it has been softening its stance to the point that, you know, he won't be a Hall of Famer while he's alive, but... When, and I don't, I don't know why that's that's his punishment, but that, that seems to be the the theory that's out there that he will be allowed in. You know, his family can celebrate it, but he will never be allowed to celebrate. It. It's a complicated topic. I have a hard time with that too because, again, I mean he he broke the rules and you know he's gambling on his own team and I, it, it's I, I don't know. I have a hard time putting that guy in the Hall of Fame. What about you? Yeah, I can go fifty fifty. Uh, but again, I'm a numbers guy. No denying the numbers. I, I'm, I'm a big time numbers yeah. guy, and you know, if if anybody went into the Hall of Fame with an asterisk, it got to be Pete Rose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like more so than anything, because again, like it, it, you know, as a play, he he can go in as a coach and a player. He wasn't that good a manager. He wasn't that good of a manager. <laughs> he wasn't. He didn't win a world title with the Big Red Machine. Th- was that him or Pinella? I don't believe he won a, a World as a Series manager? as a manager. As a manager? I, I could be wrong. I will I will check that for you guys. You guys. Um, but I, I the year Eric Davis was like their star player. I don't know if Pete was the manager or not. Wasn't he a, a player manager at one point? He at one point he yeah. was. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he was the manager of the Reds uh, one of the years where I covered spring training back in my in, when I was in Nashville, and that was the Nashville was the AAA. Uh, affiliate of the of the Reds. That was a trip to see Pete around every once in a while. Yeah, I, I could almost I could see putting him in over the PED guys, if only because what he did wrong had nothing to do with his playing career. It didn't happen on the field. I still don't like. It. I mean, the poster was up in every clubhouse. Right. <laughs> you know, don't do that. Yeah, 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 and yeah. he did. Right. <laughs> and and they got the goods on him too. Right. Steve's looking it up. I'm looking it up. I don't have an answer for you yet. Let's take our final time. <laughs> he was he was just a shade above a 500 manager, though. I okay. do have his his all time managerial record. He managed six years, and he was uh, winning percentage long? of 52 and a half percent. Oh wow! So yeah. right, I'll I'll double check the World Series thing uh, on the other side of the break. We got to take our final time out though. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. It's the Alan Griffin Show. We're coming to you live from Atilio's on James. You're listening to ESPN Radio. We'll wrap up the show right after this. Live from Atelios. This is the Alan Griffin Show. Here's your host, Stephen Fonte. Got about five minutes left on the latest edition of the Alan Griffin Show. 437-7644. Have time for another quick call if you want to try to sneak one in under the gun. Uh, so we looked during the commercial break. Yeah, no, no World Series title for Pete Rose as a manager. Um... He could get in, certainly, as a player with his numbers. Not sure uh, the managerial numbers are there. Uh, we only have a few minutes left in the show, Alan, so let's switch gears, talk some basketball to close out the show. We've got Miami coming to town on Thursday. It's an undermanned team dealing with some injuries, dealing with one key suspension. Um, team that's won in four in conference play, but they've played pretty much everybody tough with the exception of Louisville, including a close game against North Carolina the other night. Yeah, Miami's um, a v- really good team. They got some really good guards, uh, especially Chris Likes. Chris Likes is uh, all five seven of him is a dynamite player. Uh, he can shoot it from forty feet out. 
uh, with no hesitation and make them. He can get in the lane and make plays. So we got our hands full with a very, very good uh, Miami team that's going to give us everything we can handle. I heard Jerry earlier tonight uh, compare Chris Likes to Trey Jones, the, the way that he especially plays defense and kind of gets after you and just harasses you everywhere you go. Yeah, definitely. But I, I think Chris Likes is a way better offensive player uh, than, than, than Trey Jones is. Uh, and that's no knock on Trey Jones. I just think that Chris Likes, I've seen Chris Likes for five or six years now. Uh, I recruited a kid that played with him in high school, so I got a chance of seeing him a lot. And uh, I, I knew that his game was going to translate to the uh, college game because of his ability to uh, put the ball in the basket. How much do they miss Dewan Hernandez, used to be known as Dewan Hewell? And, and, and do you, of course, they're still hoping that he could get reinstated by the NCAA. So how much does his absence hurt them right now? And do you, how do you prepare for them thinking, like, you know, maybe he could actually be reinstated in time for Thursday's game? Yeah, they, they uh, coming into this year, they depended on uh, Dewan. Like they, they needed his production, uh, uh, especially on both ends of the court, especially offensively. Uh, and uh, just with the situation that's happened, you just never know. So for us, we just got to go out there and, and, you know, do the things that we do. Uh, we can't worry about what they do. If, if he comes back during our game, then we just have to make an adjustment at some point in the game. So, yeah. Looks like Florida State is going to hang on against Clemson uh, up by, what, up by nine now uh, with a couple minutes left. Uh, Georgia Tech up by three on Notre Dame. Uh, That game has just gone final now, 63-59. Georgia Tech beats Notre Dame by four. Uh, Duke on the road at Pitt tonight. Uh, That's a nine o'clock tip starting up uh, here very shortly. And Virginia back in action uh, against Wake Forest at home. Did you have a chance to see Duke-Virginia at all over the weekend? Unbelievable game. I, I thought, you know, Zion Williams was phenomenal in that game. He played, you know, even in our game, he had 37 points, whatever he had. Um, uh, he, he didn't play like a freshman. He didn't look like a freshman. And you just think, like, going up against Virginia and Virginia, you know, and their defense and, and what they do to teams, he was phenomenal in that game, too. Uh, he, he was unbelievable. So North Carolina 5-1 and one now in conference play. Uh, because of the Duke win over Virginia, both of those teams 4-1 and one in conference play. Syracuse 4-1 uh, and one as well. And the chance, uh, again, with a win over Miami uh, to move into a first-place tie on Thursday night. 8 o'clock tip on Thursday. We're out of time for Mike Waters, for Alan Griffin. I'm Stephen Fonte. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you at the Dome on Thursday night. Good night, everybody.